So good morning, everyone. Okay, Manish here from Impact 247. And I am so excited, all right, to introduce the guest for today. Okay, the gentleman has studied in John Hopkins University and received a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, aerospace engineering. He's been project engineer on Boeing 767 and a military engineer. All right, from aviation, he moved to medical devices industry in Thailand and has been there since 2006. He was heading the marketing and business development for one of the biggest hospitals there for 12 years. And, uh, you know, this is an incredible set of achievements already. And the last one year, okay, he has founded and spearheading his own program focused on weight loss, fat loss, and body detox called Real Fast. And all of this, okay, happens in the most unbelievable manner. I've seen the results. A very dear friend of mine, you know, Saji uh, was, uh, was the one who, who got me introduced to the gentleman. And he has lost almost 18 to 20 kgs in a span of two months. And, and from, from the person he was, all right, two months back, to see him turn into as lean, as young looking as Amir Khan from 3, it amazes me. And I couldn't help, but I had to reach out to the gentleman for this podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, introducing you to Mr. Sudhi Narsimham on this podcast. Hi, Sudhi. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Manish. Thank you. Thank you for that great introduction. That's really appreciated. Pleasure is all mine. And I'm so, so looking forward to ask you so many questions about, about uh, what you're doing up to with Real Fast. But, uh, but before... You know, I, I talk to you about real fast, all right? What I want to ask you, Sudhi, is that, you know, you moved to Thailand, all right? That too from aviation in U.S. to medical devices in Thailand. That's a, that's a radical shift for someone to do. What made you do that? Uh, it was really the opportunity that came up, Manish. It was, uh, it's surprising because you might think that aviation and medicine are quite different fields, but actually... Uh, a, a lot of a lot of the processes are borrowed from one to the other. So if you think about it, um, when you when you build an airplane and you fly an airplane, it, it's really about making sure that you have enough redundancies and systems in place uh, to make sure there's really no chance of an accident. Okay. And uh, you know, with the rare exception of some things that you see from year to year, generally years will go by. Tens of thousands of flights will be happening. Um, on a regular basis, and there'll be no incidents. And, and that's not just by accident, it's basically by design. Um, okay. So effectively, things are triply redundant. There's lots of levels of looking for something that might be out of control before it actually happens. And so a lot of this is, has been recently um, transferred into the, into the medical field, for example. So uh, people may not have um, much awareness about this, but when someone comes into a, a hospital uh, for a, a procedure or surgery or whatnot, there are many be behind the scenes things that has to happen in terms of um, um, hygiene, hand hygiene, um, preparation for the tools that are used, uh, systems to make sure that um, the procedure is being done in the right area. Because if you actually go through all the data for what can happen, lots of things can go wrong. So it's a matter of just using things that actually from the aviation industry, like the use of checklists, and risk analysis tools into medicine uh, actually transfers pretty well. So in that sense, it wasn't that hard to switch from aviation into medical devices, actually, because a lot of the risk analysis and the principles, aviation was more strict than medical devices. And so okay. it's a natural transfer of tools. 
Okay. And how was your experience being in Thailand? You chose to be there for 12 years. How was yeah, it? it? What stands it, out it's, for it's you? Been, it's been great. Um, so culture is very different than America. So I'm born and raised in the States. Uh, you can tell from my name. Uh, my, my origin is from uh, Indian subcontinent, specifically South India. So Karnataka, Tamil Nadu. Okay. Uh, but um, so I grew up in the States and then uh, moved over to Asia in my young 30s. And I was basically running a medical device uh, company. And then uh, from there, uh, went into the hospital side of things. So, so Thailand is, is quite interesting. So it's a very different uh, culture than America and also different culture than the GCC, of course. Right. Uh, but the people are quite very warm hearted people. Um, I mean, working with people is, I can say it's sort of same everywhere, but it's different from country to country. So they have their own unique culture, uh, but I've, I've, I've gone very deep in it. So um, uh, my, my wife is a Thai national. Um, we have a, we have a daughter who's dual citizenship, ship American and, and Thai as well. Okay. And uh, I can speak, read and write Thai to some degree. So I, I, you know, I spent some time really getting localized there. So yeah, I'm quite comfortable with it. And, and what it, it's, you can say it's my home away from home. And, and what stands out for you from Thai? I love the place. I've been there at least 10 times. So what stands out for you? Is it the people? Is it the, is it the culture? Is it the spiritual uh, component? What stands out for you about Thai? Yeah, I, I like, uh, well, uh, I think Thailand in, in Thai means uh, a free land or freedom. And, okay. I, and I do feel that there is kind of a very easygoing kind of vibe to it uh, in terms of just, uh, just, just feeling like uh, you have some liberty to be yourself. Uh, okay. Which which, you know, provided the type of person you are could be good or bad, I suppose. But, um, but, but uh, I, what I find with the Thais is they tend not to judge. Obviously, if you're making problems, they're gonna, you're going to have to deal with the problem. That's one thing. But you can sort of be your own character without people really judging. Uh, within their own society within Thailand, there's kind of a hierarchy, uh, social hierarchy, uh, that, that transcends. But as, as a foreigner there, you're sort of off, that, off the grid, so to speak. And... and uh, uh, you're able to kind of just uh, just mesh well. Um, other things about Thailand, I like the uh, I like the lushness of the land. I mean, it's very green. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've got some nice. The climate is is hot and humid year round, but it's it never gets really hotter than say 36 Celsius, and in the morning times it's typically 28. So, uh, you know, the UAE is much more pleasant in the winter, no doubt, than Thailand. But during the summer months, of course, uh, hands down, Thailand will be better. So, um, and then the food, I really like how um, that lushness and the, the natural diversity really um, allows for just tremendous range of very high quality tropical fruits, vegetables, um, locally grown products, um, and just a very good attention towards um, a culture of food uh, in a good way, in a healthy way. So um, it's got some nice elements to it. Um, you know, like every, every place there, there are pluses and minuses. You know, the weak points there I'd say is, uh, in the cities, it's uh, it's quite congested from a traffic perspective, yeah. and, and uh, so just to get around, um, it's quite difficult. And even coming to the UAE, everywhere in the UAE, even the high traffic areas are like a dream day in Bangkok. I'm sure, I'm sure. So, so from Thailand, twelve years, all right, and now to Middle East, and and that to now, this is the third shift from aviation to medical devices, and now to transformational. Uh, a food program, I would put it a transformational uh, lifestyle program. All right, what what made this happen? What made this so? Happen? Yeah, great question. It was uh, it was really driven by a personal need. So um, basically, so I was working in the uh, from medical devices. I went to work for hospitals, and um, 
um, as an administrator. So sales and marketing plus an administrator in some of the um, uh, um, medical functions basically for hospitals. And um, as I started to get through my 30s, I started to realize that, uh, well, one, I was, you know, I've always been fairly active in terms of just recreationally exercising. And I thought I ate fairly well. I mean, I've been a vegetarian for a number of years and whatnot, but nevertheless, I found- And, and you're still a vegetarian. Well, now I'm a vegan actually, but I oh, went wow. from, I kind of went full circle. So I, I used to be non-veg. Okay. Then I was a vegetarian for many years. And, and uh, I started gaining a lot of weight, even being a vegetarian. So uh, in the 12 years that I was in Thailand, uh, probably those first, uh, um, let's say eight years or so, uh, I was gaining about one kilo for every year that I was in Thailand. And to okay. put it in perspective, I'm a, I'm a six foot two frame, so I'm tall, uh, so 186 or so centimeters, uh, give or take. And um, when I moved to Thailand, my weight was 84 kilos. Yeah. And then by the time I hit 39, I was already at 92 kilos. So it was basically pretty much a kilo a year. Okay. And, you know, I was staying active and I thought I was eating pretty much the same. And um, you know, my wife told me that, well, it's just that you're getting older. As you turn 40, it's just inevitable that you're going to gain weight. Uh, just deal with it. But so I kind of went through the routine of buying larger clothes and things like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, I didn't quite care for it, actually. But I just sort of thought, well, I can't do anything about it. You know, I tried just, you know, just uh, exercising more and stuff. But it was just my the natural tendency of my weight. And, um, well, so at, at age 39, my wife uh, fell pregnant with our first, uh, with our first child. Yeah. And um, I went to the doctor for a health checkup. I was kind of doing annual health checkups. And I mentioned to him that I was going to be a father. And of course, he took my medical history and whatnot. And, and being from Indian subcontinent, um, if I look all the way across our family, especially on the males, but males and females, what ends up really getting us, it's not you know, cancer or dementia or something. It's basically cardiovascular disease. And okay. so within the family, we have a lot of incidents of diabetes. We've got cases of high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And uh, over time, you start to get end up getting clogged arteries and uh, and so forth. And then um, and those who haven't had an intervention by having a stent put in or some sort of uh, or, you know some some procedure done basically end up um, getting hit with a heart attack. So that's pretty much what I see in our family history. So I, I gave that history to the doctor, and um, you know he he went through my uh, workup and checkup and everything. And at the end of all the tests, he came back and he said, "Well, yeah, you're you're overweight." He said, you're not obese, but you're getting there. And he said, you know, you have high blood, you have high blood pressure, you, your cholesterol is slightly elevated, and your blood sugar is a little bit on the high side. And, and, um, and he said, given that you're going to be a father, and he said, given your age, I recommend uh, you do something to improve your lifestyle. So he shook me up a little bit. And, and so I said, well, what does that mean? You know, and he said, well, you know, just try to control your weight. And I said, well, well, how? And he said, well, you know, just try to eat less and exercise more, you know, which is pretty standard fare. And so, uh, so I said, okay, sure. All right. So, so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really step up here. So I started running more. So I got to the point where I was running even uh, 15, 16 kilometers in the morning. So I'd get up much earlier than I needed to for work. And I'd be out because, because in the tropics, of course, it's getting very hot. So I'd be out right. running at 5am to do this sort of thing. And, uh, and surprisingly, my weight didn't go down and actually went up. Because um, I mean, which, which surprisingly happens with many people, which I've heard surprisingly happens with many people. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is in my 20s, if I could do that, my weight would go down, it would be fine. But as I'm approaching 40s, and if I analyze it, I think what's happening is I was eating more. So when I was running more, of course, I felt I needed to eat more. So right. I was even having like a double dinner, you know, you could say like an early dinner and a late dinner. Right. And, and those things add up. And then, you know, then I started to realize I'm getting uh, knee pain and knee problems. So um, 
And then I, I thought, this isn't going to work. And I was like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And I was like, so I, I need to do something different. So I just started searching for solutions. Okay. And, uh, and then one thing I found was, uh, you know, something called water fasting. And I okay. thought, well, let me try this out, you know. And so basically what it entailed is I, I, I got up in the morning and I took nothing to eat until basically sunset, nothing but water. Okay. okay? Which, uh, which, which sounds, sounds like it should be pretty hard. But what I found is, I mean, one, it was kind of hard, but I would do it when I, for my work at the time, I'd have to travel to uh, neighboring countries. So uh, I was stationed in Bangkok. Sometimes I'd have to fly to Singapore, two hour flight away. Okay. And when I go from Bangkok to Singapore, I actually lose one hour. So that fasting for a day, I can actually cheat by one hour because the sun will go down one hour early than when I leave Bangkok. Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> just, I'm telling you all my secrets. Uh, so um, basically I, 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 would, I would get up and, um, you know, get ready and, and, and go to the airport and, uh, and, and get on the plane and, um, and then, you know, fly to Singapore. And then it was, it was a two hour flight and it was fairly easy to abstain from eating something on the plane because plane okay. food isn't the best anyway. Absolutely. And sort of, you can imagine a scenario if you get up, you rush for the airport, you don't eat anything but water. Then on the plane, you're just hydrating. Sure. Uh, and then what I found, Manish, is that you actually, you'd go through these episodes where you'd get very hungry. It would sort of go like a roller coaster and then the hunger would subside and then come back again. But what I actually found, objectively speaking, as long as I kept busy and I kept moving, it was tolerable. I mean, if I guess if I was sitting and if I was in front of a, a really nice lunch venue, it'd be torture. I'm Don't sure. get me wrong. But, okay. but because I sort of kept moving and then as soon as I landed, if I just would collect my bags, take a taxi, go meet the client, uh, the customer, um, then as long as I was busy, it was okay. And then I would sort of finish up, come, at, come back to the hotel to check in three or four o'clock. And then it would hit me. I'd feel exhausted, hungry, tired. And then instead of just you know, wallowing in self-pity, I would right. just change into gym clothes and I'll try to hit the gym. I didn't have much energy to gym, do anything besides- On water fasting, wow. Yeah, but, but I couldn't do much more than just walk on the treadmill. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty, yeah. because no, normally you find when you exercise and you're hungry, normally after 10 minutes, it kills your hunger and you start Absolutely. to feel okay, yeah. which, which also happens. So it would take a little longer in this case. And then after I finished exercising, about an hour after I was done, say like 6 p.m. or so, man, the hunger would hit really hard and I'd feel really just like, I need to eat now. Now, okay. the strange thing is I realized what I was craving wasn't the normal kind of high carbohydrate and processed foods I was eating, which I thought were fairly healthy. Instead, yeah. I was just really looking for something like grapes, an apple, like some whole grain bread and maybe a piece of fish or something. Okay. I started to become very mindful of what I was putting in my mouth. So I basically would just have a dinner and it would be a very filling dinner. I'd use it, eat very comfortably. Yeah. And then I would just, uh, I, it, was, it would feel wonderful. So that apple and grape tasted better than anything that I've ever had before. I'm sure. uh, I, think, I think there's an old uh, uh, a phrase that says, you know, hunger is the best seasoning, right? So, um, so I, just, I just realized it was very purposeful for what I wanted to eat. So what I found is after doing one day of this, and, and I was only there for a day or two, so I only did it once. And then okay. know, when I come back a few weeks later, I did it again. Okay. So I did six in total of a period of about two months, six of these okay. one day regimens. And I found in hindsight that one, I became more mindful of what I'm eating. And okay. secondly, the epiphany for me is I was actually less hungry water fasting than when I was eating normally sometimes, because sometimes after lunch, two hours after lunch, I'd feel intensely hungry. And that intensity of the hunger was about equal to the most hungry I felt when I was water fasting. And I thought, well, that's funny. It, it should, shouldn't it be less, but it wasn't. And so I started to, you know, and every time I did one of these, I was losing about half a kilo. So I kind of edged down from something like 92, 93 to maybe 
89, 88. And, and, and you were losing half a kilo every week because you were doing it once a week. Correct. And I think it was just because I was under eating for those okay. period, you know? And, and, uh, and so it, it, it led me to do a lot more research and look into it. And I kind of went through this phase where I thought, man, fasting is the best thing in the world. I mean, this, you know, why didn't I find this sooner? Uh, I kind of was in that phase. And then that mm. exploration phase led me to look into something called uh, juice fasting. Okay. And, uh, and, then, and then basically, uh, I started to get into that. And I, and I thought, let me, let me look into that more. And I found a, a mentor in the U.S., uh, a guy out of California who's in his 70s. And he's kind of been... Uh, you could say uh, like a, a juice fasting type individual. Okay. And uh, he kind of, I, I plugged in with him. He gave me some tips and pointers, which was more around, you know, um, what type of juices are good for juicing and that sort of thing. But um, it was, it was kind of unscientific. It was just, you know, some, here's some rough pointers, but okay. nevertheless, he had some experience with uh, doing some, some juice fast himself. So he was a good person for me to use as a sounding board. Okay. And with that, I basically went off on my own adventure and I ended up doing actually a very long uh, juice fast, a 60-day juice fast. Okay. And uh, in, in the process, I sort of created, um, I tried to figure out what's, what's key in terms of uh, um, staving off hunger, uh, okay. creating kind of sustainable energy, making it feel so you're not tired. Okay. And uh, I did a lot of research around some of the mechanisms within the human body okay. um, in terms of how we process energy. So, um, and then in short, I basically used that and... Um, I fine-tuned that program, and then I, some other people were interested in the results that, that they saw with me, just like you're mentioning with Saji. So I started helping a few individuals, so friends and family out, for example, and made some more tweaks to the program from that. And then my father, who's, an, and who's a scientist, and then also uh, he's a patent agent, um, wow. we basically, he went through the program at age, uh, at age 70, and he was able to have a lot of uh, good weight loss benefits and some Amazing. health improvement benefits too. Amazing. No wonder you so mentioned that your father helped you file the patents for it. Yeah, so that's right. So we, we both wrote this patent together in the U.S. and we got it awarded, actually. We, we filed it a couple of years ago and you can imagine the patent system, it went back and forth and we had to list all the prior art. And right. there wasn't much other stuff in the, in the library for stuff that's patented for this, but we basically got a patent uh, that says Hunger Minimized Juice Fasting System. Okay. And uh, it's basically the, this, this particular program and it's a very special program that's that's a little bit different than everything out in the in the public domain. So okay. I can describe it as, as you know as 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 much as you would like. Uh, but but effectively the key uh, the key elements here is that uh, number one is uh, you're able to uh, um, sustain this uh, uh, caloric deficit while taking juice and other other things like other nutrients like liquid vitamins and and uh, like an electrolyte based soup. Uh, and, and you're able to be in a state of caloric deprivation for an extended period of time while not feeling hungry, while having very high energy, uh, while being able to exercise, um, while being able to go to work normally. Just and, by uh, juice, which is a mixture of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, among other things. So there's, there's, there's different types of beverages in the program, basically. Okay. So um, basically a system. And so, um, you know, so with that, I started to try to expand it. And I've got to the point where I've coached about 50 people and maybe you can say 25 plus within the UAE okay. uh, in the year that I've been here. And, okay. uh, and, and typically people see very um, strong uh, loss within uh, body weight, body fat. And, um, and basically with, with, the, with the result of those uh, items, um, sort of you would, as you would expect, you would see, um, you know, associated health benefits. So you sort of sleep better, you have deeper sleep, 
um, you know, yeah. your heart rate. Like, like Saji was sharing, effect. that is, like Saji was sharing, his snoring is completely gone. Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, when you snore and you're having interrupted sleep, that's causing other health problems too. So um, effectively, um, the research I've done really led me to suggest a few key things. So one is that, you know, the human body actually is adapted to process more than one source of energy. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll be a little more specific when I say that. So we can actually get our energy from uh, glucose, which is uh, carbohydrates and sugar, or right. we can get our energy from fat, <clears throat> which is uh, fatty acids. Right. Um, but, you know, they're two separate mechanisms, and there are certain conditions that need to take place to, to, be, to trigger one mechanism over the other. And, and you can imagine the human animal, just like other animals, are, are, are very adaptable. Um, we live all the way around different parts of the, the globe, uh, you know, over thousands of years. You know, we've, we've been a nomadic migratory species, uh, but we've sort of settled in tropical climates, and we've settled in polar climates. And the polar climates, as you would expect, uh, people are living mostly on animal products and animal fats, specifically, and they're able to sustain life. And then in the tropical belts, people are living on primarily high carbohydrates. So if you look at the staples in most of the tropical belts, it's something like a starch, you know, so potatoes, wheat. bananas, rice, plantains, yams, taro, you know, and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> and then there's um, a lot of combination of um, different types of plant sources. So you can get um, combinations of proteins. You can get complete amino acid proteins, which is important too. And if you look at the traditional tropical diets, there would be some meat products, but it would be pretty, pretty low level. Right. And if you looked at the polar climates, on the other hand, they wouldn't really have much access to carbohydrates. Um, you know, your fruits really aren't growing up there. You might right. have some starches, but they would be very seasonal and not common. Okay. And, uh, and, and so you're really seeing two different diets altogether. So basically the human animals evolved to do um, both of those. But really the problem is when you try to mix them together, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> when you mix them together, you, um, you start to see problems occur. So just like when, when um, high carbohydrate um, diets were brought in through the form of flour, processed grains, um, right. soda into the polar climates, you start to see a very high incidence of you know, diabetes, obesity, cancer, heart disease. And then likewise in the tropical belt, when you started to add a lot more fast food, convenience food, and um, mixing you know, the high carbohydrate processed food with normal high carbohydrates, as well as uh, you know, heavy amounts of animal products, then you see a similar effect. Okay. And, and you know, when I was, when I was reading about juice based diet, okay, what, you know, when you tell me that calorific, you know, deprivation, but I was reading about it that one of the, one of the, one of the statements that read against the juice based diet is that the sugar or the glucose or the fructose shoots up when you go on juice based diet. So what is your take on it? Yeah, um, that's, a fair, that, that's a fair point. So what people need to know is there's a lot of science behind it. So effectively, um, you know, people are into keto diets, right? So the keto diet, you're basically burning fat. And to, to get in that state, you have to deprive your body of carbohydrates, right. which, is, uh, which, is, which is kind of, uh, which is fair enough. Uh, basically, your body stores uh, carbohydrates in your muscle as well as your liver. So okay. what ends up happening is complex carbohydrates are broken down to simple carbohydrates, which effectively get broken down to glucose. So okay. things like fructose get converted back to glucose in your liver and then uh, sent back out. And uh, effectively, we can store a portion of calories in the form of glycogen, which is chains of glucose in our liver, 
as well as in our muscle tissue. Now, once those are full and they're topped off, you can imagine a battery or like a hybrid battery in a car. Once it's topped off then and you introduce more sugar, it goes into the bloodstream and it elevates in the bloodstream and it's not going into the liver or muscles for absorption. Now, what ends up happening is your, your, um, your body will signal that, okay, blood sugar is high, I need to make insulin. And so your right. pancreas will create insulin and it's gonna take those extra glucose molecules and, and tie up three of them to make a triglyceride, which is a basis for a fatty acid molecule. So it's gonna be turning it to fat. So it's very correct that if your liver is topped up and your muscles are topped up and you start taking juice, uh, you're gonna be spiking your blood sugar and going to fat. Absolutely right. right. Um, the reason I mentioned caloric deficit is while you're juice fasting effectively, your juice, juice fasting is, is something you do for a period of time. You're not gonna live on that because you're gonna be continually losing fat. Right. Um, if you do it right, and it's going to be therapeutic, but basically it's meant to cycle, just like our bodies are meant to cycle through periods of weight gain and weight loss, which normally corresponds to the seasons and when food food availability, because we are again, you know, a nomadic type. Uh, uh, you know, we've evolved that way as a nomadic type species. So, <clears throat> um, effectively, the caloric deficit is important because you're triggering it so that the juice you're taking is such that it's tied to your liver being lower than full. So when you're taking juice, it's basically coming into your liver and coming into your muscles and not exceeding that full level. And that's why you have the caloric deficit and you basically have a schedule of the level of juice and the quantity that you're taking. And so part of what I do for people when I give them a customized program, I figure out what's their uh, body mass index, how much fat are they carrying, what's their basal metabolic rate, and I'll basically determine the amount of calories they'll need to take so that they can lose X amount of weight. And so when they are taking the juice at this intervals, basically it's not going to be spiking the blood sugar. It's going to be going into the liver. Okay. Okay. And you know, when you say juices, you prefer juices without the pulp or are you referring to juices with the pulp? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one of the things that was uh, discovered in the research and was a basis for the patent also is that, uh, you have to strain uh, your solids out of the juices to basically get into this fasting state. Now, let me, let me just mention something else here too, that there's a difference between dieting and fasting. So okay. if you were to just cut your calories while eating normally, um, what ends up happening is you're in caloric restriction. And then, yeah, you lose weight in caloric restriction, but you're losing also a lot of muscle mass typically in caloric restriction. You're also feeling cranky. Your immune system, if you're in caloric restriction for a while, is getting weakened. So it's easier to take on colds and things. When, and when then, you, um, so this is one thing. When you say calorific restriction, you're talking about eating food but cutting down on bread or eating food and cutting down on portions of rice. That's what you're referring to. Well, what I mean there specifically, Manish, is um, I'm looking at if you, if you need 2,000 calories a day and you eat 1,500 a day, you're in caloric deficit. So that's okay. a restriction. Okay. So one thing people could do is they could say, I'm on a diet and instead of eating my normal three meals a day, I'm gonna eat three meals a day, but I'm gonna eat half portions, okay. half of everything or a quarter of everything. Okay. So that would be a traditional diet. Right. Uh, that's what I'm saying, you're in caloric deprivation. And when you do that, what happens is you'll lose weight, but you'll start losing muscle, you'll feel moody, you're gonna have, you know, your, your immune system will be weakened over time. Uh, and it's, it, that's why diets work to some extent, but normally you don't have enough willpower. So you start to feel insanely hungry. Your body fights back saying, I'm not getting enough calories. And so, um, you know, that's the sort of diet cycle. So what ends up happening is you keep it for a few days and then one moment in, a, in an absence of willpower, because you don't have willpower 24 hours a day, 
especially with normal life, because other things are chipping away at your willpower. You come back home and then you eat 3,000 calories in one right. go and you blow the diet. That's, right. that's a typical phenomenon. So, uh, but, so I'm saying, so in dieting, your body responds a certain way. In fasting, it responds a different way. So in fasting, basically your body is uh, sending out hormones where you're preserving muscle tissue and adding human growth hormone. And so your body is trying to preserve its, you know, its, its, itself effectively. And uh, you're able to try to drive the body to be going after your body fat versus just going indiscriminately and just trying to consume everything. And uh, so there's kind of a difference between dieting and, uh, and, and fasting. And so <clears throat> one key difference to get yourself in the fasting state is to basically um, you know, strain all these solids out of, out of what you're taking when you juice fast. And the reason for that is there's certain cells within your intestine that when solids pass through, they get tickled and they signal to your brain that you're hungry. Okay. And so when you strain everything, you basically sever that link and uh, you effectively, um, hang on a second, excuse me. <coughs> I've got a little bit of a dry throat from, oh, and the more I talk, it'll start to act up. So I apologize. So uh, when you sever that link, basically, uh, that'll, that's going to trigger your hunger to basically turn off. And so that's the difference between fasting and, and dieting. So when you do take juices, yeah, you can take different juices, but you're going to strain fiber and pulp. Okay. Now, when, you, when, when I was doing the research on fasting, okay, and you also mentioned that fasting is therapeutic, is it because the ketones go up during your fasting and, and that is what creates a therapeutic effect? Um, great question. So there's a, let's talk about a few different types of fasting. <clears throat> so there's intermittent fasting, for example, where people delay eating their first meal until, so let's say, for example, their feeding window might be between noon and 6 p.m. So basically you're eating for six hours and you're, you're not eating for 18 hours. And let's look at what happens in the body. So during those 18 hours, so right after you finish eating at say six o'clock, there's plenty of carbohydrates in your body. Your liver is topped up, your muscles are topped up. You've probably eaten enough that you basically spiked your insulin and you, you're creating fat. And so over the period of many, many hours after you spend the rest of the evening not eating and then go to sleep, you'll basically be working your way through those carbohydrates and burning them off right. uh, typically as you're sleeping. And then in the morning time when you get up, you're kind of going to be in a, in a sort of fasting state, which is why the way, by the way, why they call breakfast, break your fast. You're basically ah, stopping. I never, I so, never thought so, that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, um, basically you're, you're holding it a little longer, you know, to getting to something like 16 hours and effectively those last two or three hours, you're going to be starting ketosis. And as soon as you start eating normally, especially if you're eating carbohydrates and not fat only, you know, then, basically you're going to break ketosis and you're going to go back into the glucose pathway. Right. So that's one form of fasting. I mean, this fasting is used for many, many sub definitions. A second one would be water fasting. So water fasting would be, you take nothing but water, like kind of what I did, but, but you don't break it in the evening. You carry on and you continue the next day and the next day and the next day. And then what happens is you go into ketosis by, by about day two or so. So, you know, you're basically you've consumed all your carbohydrates and your body is starting to break down fat but you're also breaking down um, some muscle as well in that process. Right. So the other thing that happens is um, for you to produce energy in your body, there are two metabolic pathways. So one is aerobic and one is anaerobic. This is getting into some high level chemistry, so I'm not going to bore people. Yeah. Around, but I'm, I'm sure for the, aud for the audience I'm catering to, this is going to go a little, you know, let's, let's, let's skip it. But the key point there is you need, 
something called ATP or a high energy molecule to help you burn fat more effectively. So you get it while you burn fat, but to get it to be triggered, uh, having some small amount of sugar rich juices can help you get into that mode, which is kind of why it ties into my program real fast. Okay. <laughs> if you don't have it, you end up burning muscle to create that is, is what it boils down to. <clears throat> so if you're water fasting, you're in ketosis and you are going to lose weight for sure, but it's extremely hard. You're not going to have much energy. Forget about exercising. You're probably going to be in bed for a lot of the time. Going to work will be very hard and mentally it'll be very, very tough. Okay. Okay. So when you do land up, uh, you know, when, when this uh, real fast juice die, do you recommend, why do you recommend organic fruits and vegetables or just normal fruits and vegetables will do? Either one is fine, to be honest. I mean, look, at the end of the day, organic is probably better, um, you know, just because you've got less inorganic pesticides. But, you know, I think, look, put it this way, eating inorganic fruit or vegetable is a heck of a lot better than eating processed foods to begin with. Right. So to me, it's like, you know, you're already 90% of the way there. If you want to go further up and get organic, it's fine. But, you know, obviously there's a cost premium for it, but I'm open on it. I mean, if it's available and it's reasonably priced, and to me, it's about taste. So sometimes, you know, I, I found, find some inorganic stuff to taste pretty good and some organic stuff to taste good and very good and some organic stuff to taste so-so. So I look at the intersection between taste and, and maybe value for money. Um, okay. If everything, all things are being equal, yeah, I'd steer towards organic. If organic has a high premium for me, I'll sort of mix and match. Okay. I'm a bit more practical on the whole thing. Absolutely. Because I'm sure there are many countries where organic stuff is very price, price very high for people's access. So, so an example in Thailand, organic vegetables are almost the same price as inorganic. So I, I buy them. And, and okay. organic fruits are something like treble or quadruple the price of inorganic. So I don't buy them. Okay. For me. Yeah. But everyone's different. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you do land up, uh, you know, recommend or when you do land up making your uh, dietary charts, which includes fruits and vegetables, how important is antioxidants? All right. For you to land up choosing these fruits and vegetables. Yeah, that's that's a good factor. I mean, um, you know, antioxidants. So uh, obviously a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the red and purple foods are high in, uh, in, in, in the family of ant antioxidants. Uh, as well as uh, green vegetables and cruciferous vegetables. So in other words, vegetables that have a shape of a cross, cruciferous means. So okay. things like uh, you know, kale or, or uh, broccoli, for example. Um, so that's, that's generally important, but also the vegetables, they have a good mix of both uh, minerals as well as uh, vitamins. And so, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, they're, they're good for health. I mean, I try to, you know, if I, even if I'm not doing a, a fast or a program like that, I, I sort of, uh, incorporate fresh fruits and vegetables into my diet just just because i like it. it gives me a lot of energy okay so normally if a person goes on juice based fasting all right you surely would recommend a dietitian or a nutritionist to chart out the the plan because you, you, you because definitely a 30 to 60 day juice fasting shouldn't be done on their own i i totally agree i think there's too many uh you need to get someone with some experience to help you um, simply because uh, one, every person is slightly different. Uh, and, and secondly, it's, it's good to get someone who's got some prior experience in history that kind of knows uh, what to expect and maybe what's, you know, what's, what's kind of key to look for. And so it's kind of a, it's like an expertise associated with just history and experience and hopefully someone who's based in science in terms of the way they look at things. Yeah. Um, 
not many doctors have uh, ex experience with it, unfortunately. Um, so many doctors, um, and even myself, having gone through it, I remember asking, you know, so I, I basically went to a checkup after I did my fast. And uh, what, what, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was actually the same doctor, but he didn't remember me. <laughs> he had to look at the chart because I looked uh -huh. so different. And he's used to seeing so many people. Huh. Um, but, you know, basically, you know, my, for me, my blood pressure went to dead normal. In fact, on the low side, super healthy. My heart rate went down. My blood sugar went down. My okay. cholesterol went down. And then, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, because the same guy gave me a lecture at the end of having a checkup, I wanted them to tell me, you know, hey, everything is great. But the funny thing is he, you know, he, he just read all the numbers. Everything is normal, normal here. And then I'm waiting for his lecture, you know, what he's going to say. And then he looked yeah. at me and goes, you know, um, he goes, I play a lot of tennis. And I'm thinking, that's nice. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he's like, you know, and I watch what I eat. I work out a lot, you know. And then so I'm, think, I'm thinking, why is he telling me this? Yeah. And then all and, he said, and then he said, you know, I'm a lot like yourself. I'm, I really focus on my health. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden it hit me like a light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, oh, um, so I'm basically invisible to him now. And then I said, well, what do you think about juice fasting? And he's like, I think it's really dangerous. You know, it's like, I think it can spike your blood sugar. It's not recommended. You know, it's, and, uh, and I thought, and I said, well, you know, actually I, I did this long juice fast and that's what made the change. And he was like, what? And then, so he looked at the previous numbers and he was like, well, that's, that's really, uh, that's really something. And he just sort of was like, hmm, I'm not sure what to make of this. And then he said, well, okay, well, you're free to go. <laughs> so, you know, so. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. Doctors have no clue about nutrition. My doctor told me to remove my thyroid gland. And, and that is the time I decided I rather avoid doctors completely where food is concerned. Well, I think uh, having been in the medical field, I think it has to, I, I don't want to fault them because most of the doctors, almost everyone I know in the medical field, they're very passionate people. They're very intelligent people and they put in a lot of hours and time and right. to become specialized means you, need to, you, means you need to know a lot about that field. Sure. Um, I just think that maybe this whole movement around fasting or juice fasting is too nascent and maybe it's not enough integration in some of the training that they've had. And depending on the doctor that you're seeing, depending on their age, they would have gone to medical school, you know, decades ago or years ago. And sure, they're going to get continuing medical education, but most of it's relevant to their field. So if you see an endocrinologist who takes care of thyroid, he's, you know, uh, and again, I'm not a doctor, but, and so I'm not going to, uh, I'm not making uh, any, any statements as a doctor, but generally speaking, they, they have certain pathways they look at based on their prior experience. And, uh, and oftentimes they're right, but you know, they, they may not know what they don't know. I mean, that's just the I issue. agree. I agree. And I respect them for the work they've put in and the knowledge they have. But that's why I said specifically the food portion, the nutrition portion, like I was, I, I followed, you know, a particular high fat diet and my doctors told me you're doing a mistake. Forget high fat diet. Okay. So the, I just told them that I could, I may want to reverse it, just trying out through food. And he said it is impossible. So where food is concerned, I think the knowledge is very limited. Yes. Uh, and there are few doctors who may want to go on that path. But, but the good thing is today, there are many doctors who are going on that path and researching, which is amazing. So, so what I want to ask you, Sudhi, for people who are going to do the juice-based diet, or they, of course, will go on a 30 to 60 day program. But what would you want to recommend to people who, who are on a normal day, day to day, they go about their lives in the normal manner, what would you recommend they increase the consumption of and what would you recommend they decrease the consumption of? Yeah, sure. So I think, uh, I think it's good to periodically under eat. 
because uh, I think your body is designed for that. It's not really designed for just overeating on a daily basis because you end up getting a pro, pro-cyclical kind of a vicious circle where you end up having more insulin in your body and then that creates a decreased response for your pancreas and that's sort of like the first step of uh, you know, adult onset type, type two diabetes. So I recommend periodically eating less, um, whether that's something like just taking a day where you're having nothing but you know, raw fruits and raw vegetables, for example, or you know, just eating, you know, maybe delaying your meal, provided that you know, your body responds well to it. Uh, again, if people have any doubts or if you already have health problems, or you're sensitive to it, it's probably wise to just get the advice of a doctor on it. But, uh, but generally speaking, you know, one periodically eating less, I think is a, is a recommendation I would, I would endorse. Uh, number two would be um, trying to incorporate more um, natural foods in your diet. So the less processed, the better. So going back to the staples of raw fruits, raw vegetables, some can be eaten raw, some need to be cooked. So obviously any starchy vegetable can't be eaten raw. Uh, and things like broccoli are pretty, pretty tough to take raw. I mean, very few people can eat raw broccoli. It's pretty nasty. You got to <laughs> yeah. steam it. Uh, so, um, and then other things like what I'd call like whole grains in as adulterated form as possible. So uh, uh, things like uh, quinoa and amaranth, which is actually more of a flower seed rather than a grain, but it's grouped as a grain. And then things like, uh, you know, um, your, you know, like brown rice and, and so forth. So, um, uh, you know, and, and other things like uh, chickpeas, garbanzo beans, if you sort of just soak them and then either just steam them or, 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 or pressure cook them or something like that. Again, those are all very, very unprocessed foods. So if you, if you have more of your diet geared towards unprocessed foods, and more towards raw foods, you're gonna you're gonna lose weight anyway, and you're gonna you're gonna be healthier for it, generally speaking. Okay. It's a spectrum. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. I'm but sure. But you could say instead of having 100% processed food, I'm moving that to 80%, and then basically I'm focusing more on fruit and vegetable. And for me, I really tend to prefer incorporating more uh, plants, plant-based diet. Um, so if people still want to choose to have meat and and uh, animal products, uh, just maybe being mindful of the portions that they're taking of that. Uh, okay. to try to help them for for someone who is working out and if he is looking for a, a protein all right intake from a plant-based diet do you prefer those supplements which are made out of pea protein or hemp protein or is there a particular kind of a protein you prefer yeah that's a good question i personally i tend to prefer pea and uh hemp is okay too uh versus things like uh um whey I don't really care for whey. I know a lot of people use whey and, and soy protein. Um, it, it's okay, but, but there's some evidence that if you're taking too much soy as, as a man, you can be um, increasing estrogen levels. And so that could be counterproductive. So pea protein is a good one. But one thing I want to say about protein is um, I think people are sort of conditioned to, to take more protein than they probably need. And so, um, you know, for, for the listeners, if you made it this far on the podcast and you still enjoy what, what's being said, <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to Google, um, I want you to just do a Google search on protein toxicity. Just put that in your search engine. And I'm pretty sure you'll find a return unless something's changed in the rankings. It's been a few months since I did this. You'll find something that comes back called rabbit starvation. And you might say, what's that? It's rabbit starvation. Well, let me tell you what that is. Um, it, it was well known during the 1800s when people in the Americas, in the US, had to go from the East Coast that was populated to the West to basically settle frontier land. Uh, they were basically living off the land, okay? So they weren't farming, they brought provisions and they were traveling. And they went through periods in that journey where they only had meat available that were rabbits. 
okay. so they didn't have like big game and things like that. So they're living off rabbits, okay? So the thing with a wow. rabbit is a rabbit has mostly all protein and very little fat. Right. So what ended up happening is when you're adjusting your caloric intake to almost all protein, um, and you don't even need all, but say more than 40% of your calories from protein, you basically start to have vomiting, diarrhea, your, your, your kidneys start to shut down and you start fouling your liver. So, um, you know, you will be forced to change your diet if you don't die. I'll put it that way. So wow. you won't be able to live off all protein. So that limit is about 250 grams. And to put things in perspective, um, a carbohydrate and a protein has four grams, uh, four calories per gram and fat has nine. So if you're having about 2000 plus calories a day for a requirement and you're taking more than 200, 250 grams of protein, that's a thousand calories a day. You'll start to experience this protein toxicity. That's the high level of protein we can take per day that the humans can deal with. On the low level, it's about 30 to 40 grams of protein a day. And there are some books and studies that are increasingly linked to say that a low protein diet towards that lower level is actually associated with less incidence of cancer and less incidence of inflammation. Okay. And another thing I want to mention too, when you have more protein, that protein um, also starts to leach calcium out of your body that gets urinated. So uh, a lot of times people who suffer from osteoporosis, it's often linked to having elevated protein. Uh, all these things are based on stuff that I've read and, and papers that I've gone through. So, um, you know, if people want to learn more, do, do your own research. But, uh, but basically, to me, a sweet spot for protein, even lifting weights and, and kind of building muscle tissue. And, I'm, you know, even though I'm light, I've got some strength to me. You know, I'm right. strong. I'm, I'm, and so um, uh, for me, I try to aim for about, about one to one and a half grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And so if I'm about 75 or so uh, kilos on a right. six foot two frame right now. You know, before I told you I was in my 90s before, when I fast, I got down to 70. And I've held this level for five, six years since I did my long fast. You're, you're weighing so 70 kg. You weigh 70 kgs now. At, at the end of the fast, I weighed 70. At the moment, I'm around 75-ish. Okay. okay. So at the end of a long fast, you always gain a little bit of weight back. But basically, um, yeah, I'm about 75-ish, which is, okay. if you look at it, I'm at a BMI of 23. It's just, it's just perfect. Wow. Uh, I'm lean. I mean, a lot of people look at me, they'll say I'm, I'm wiry, right? But I'm, I'm just naturally strong. Uh, I'm 45, 46 years old. I'll be 46 no, and, soon. And, and I guess at the end of the day, it comes down to how you feel about yourself. If you Personal got... preference. Personal yeah. preference. I feel, I feel a lot better at this weight than I did yeah. in the 80s or 90s. So I'm, I'm happy to carry it. And I have a tool in place where I can dial in any weight I want. So it's about absolute control. But, uh, but you know, going back to the protein question, for me, if I eat 100 grams of protein a day, it's, it's plenty for me. And I can build muscle on that. If I want to be building more muscle, I can try to eat a bit more. And it's easy as anything to get that much protein on a vegetarian diet. Um, right. even, even without pea protein, pea protein makes it even easier. You just have to choose. Uh, there, I can list you so many foods that have on a caloric basis, more protein per calorie than, than beef does, for example. Okay. Which would be like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale. Wow, I didn't uh, know there was protein in there. Yeah, if you look at broccoli, actually on a, on, a, on, a, uh, on a caloric basis, broccoli has way more protein per calorie than, than meat does. Uh, but you know, to get a huge amount of protein from broccoli, you're eating a lot of broccoli. So, yeah, so, which uh, also you know, is not good. Yeah, itself might have 15 grams. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 surprising actually. Well, but not surprising in a sense if you look at the animals, the animals that we eat for food, 
Well, where are they getting their protein? They're getting it plants. from greens, yeah. from plants. So all I'm doing is I'm skipping the middleman by eating the plants directly. Instead of consuming the animals that ate the plants, I'm just eating the plants. <laughs> and I find it a lot, it's a lot more clean because the problem is, uh, you know, when you look at animal husbandry today, uh, a lot of stuff is confined animal space and that has to do with getting costs down. Otherwise it's too expensive. Right. So uh, you know, uh, chickens and, and, uh, and, and, and dairy and, and pork and everything else, it's most of meat that you get today is coming from animal farms. And so you have very concentrated sources of animals and you want to grow them very quickly and you want to make sure they don't make each other sick. So you end up getting growth hormones and, uh, and, uh, that's a, and also, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's a devil in its own antibiotics, yeah. antibiotics given to those animals. And, you know, I think that ends up coming into their meat and I don't really want to eat that stuff. Right. So to me, to me, it's just a cleaner diet is just my personal preference. Everyone chooses for themselves. Is that the reason why you've gone vegan? Because it completely takes you away from the animal. Well, what's interesting is after I did my own long fast, you find that, so people can say, okay, so uh, why do people maintain the weight that they have after they do the long fast? And, and there's a couple of reasons. One is when you go for a longer period of time, so this fast is different than the short cleanses. I mean, many people do short juice cleanses, you know, three days, seven days, 10 days. Uh, this really needs you to go more than 30 days simply because, uh, and it's not particularly hard. Once you get into it, it's, it's actually very easy. You just feel like you're not hungry and you're just in a different routine. The way I describe it is it's like a vacation from normal eating. It's like when you go on vacation, your routine is different, but you're having a great time. You're just like right. going to different places. You sleep in a different place. You go to get different places to eat. And this is what when you're doing when you're fasting, you're, you're just switching to a different routine of things that you're ingesting. But you actually feel hungry, fine, full of energy. You feel great. So it's like a, it's like a vacation from eating. So, but to the length of time for going 30 days to be able to hold that weight um, is basically because one, you have a, you create set points. So your body has certain weights where it tries to hold on to the weight. Just like if you're weighing whatever you weigh today, Manish, and you go to a, a brunch and you try to pick out, yeah, you might gain half a kilo, but you, you're not going to go up four kilos or something. Your, even if you overeat, your body will hold the weight. And then similarly, if you try to diet, it'll also lose a little bit of weight, but it'll hit a set point and hold the weight. But when you do a longer fast, you break through set points and you hit a new lower set point, and then your body is kind of gravitating to stick at that weight. So it's exactly. easier to hold it. And then the second thing is when you finish, you're sort of, um, your taste buds become more attuned. And you might find that certain food that you're eating before is a habit. When you try it, it doesn't satisfy you the same way it used to. So in other words, the memory of it might be satisfying, but when you actually try it, I mean, it's sort of like, meh, it's not that good. And in some cases, it's, it's making you feel heavy. It's making you feel mucusy. It's making you feel headachy. And then you're just like, if you're more self-aware as you would be after a long fast, um, because you start to get more mindfulness, then, then you can sort of ask yourself, well, is this thing really right for me? And you might have your own internal debate saying, you know, well, it used to be right for me, but maybe I don't like it now. And you might gravitate towards eating less of it or just getting rid of it altogether. And, um, you know, so it's, th those are the reasons why it's easier to hold healthy habits after you're done. And, and that's why choosing vegan came naturally to you. Choosing vegan came naturally for me because one, as I mentioned, I used to be a vegetarian for a while. When I was gaining weight, one of the things I, I panicked about was I thought, I'm eating too many carbohydrates as a vegetarian. I need to eat animal products. Right. So I started taking fish. 
specifically fish. And then actually it, it didn't do anything. I still kept gaining weight. <laughs> but after I did the long fast and I lost the weight, then I thought, let me go back to being a veg. And then I started taking dairy and stuff after and things like eggs. And I, I, I was finding mucus formation and it wasn't really making me feel light and clean. So then I thought, let me go for vegan. And I really liked it. And I haven't looked back. So I've been vegan five, six years. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm debating. All right. I'm a vegetarian, but, uh, but that's a choice which do, I have do, to do. A, do a fast first and then go into it and experiment. I mean, because that way you get your body really, really dialed in and very clean. Okay. Okay. Let me give it a shot. I have a real life example in front of me, Saji. So definitely, you know. Sudhi, but we are, we are almost, almost at the end of the podcast session, but I want to ask you three questions, all right, before, before we wrap it up for the day. One was you recommended, uh, you, you shared that Charlie Munger, who is the partner of uh, Warren Buffet, all right, inspired yes. you the most, all right, you know, surprises me, someone from aviation, medical, fasting, as an investor, as someone who inspires me the most, so why? I'd love to know about it. Thanks. Charlie Munger is a fascinating guy. So he's, uh, he's something like, if I remember right, in his 90s, maybe 96 years old. Nine, he's 94 years old, yeah. 94, 94. 94, 94. Sorry, yeah. 94 years old. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, he's six years older than Warren Buffett, who's yes. 88. So somehow I transposed the six with the 90s. 94, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah, so he, he, he grew up a very interesting life. And not only was he an investor, but he's just a really outstanding thinker. And so he thought a lot about psychology and mental models. And his whole point about being an, an investor was not, he didn't necessarily want to get rich. He just wanted to become independent so he could kind of pursue his own passions. And he sort of overshot in the process, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so he's a fascinating guy. And everything I read about him, um, you know, really encourages me to read more, to really learn about myself. So for me, by doing this long fast, I, it opened up a lot of channels for self-exploration. So I, I just started looking at all sorts of different um, individuals out there who could teach me things. And Charlie Munger was just someone I found because books that I read, which, which inspired me, referred to him saying, you know, uh, as a reading, recommended reading list. So multiple sources were pointing to him. So I just went to his stuff. And, uh, and it's pretty fascinating. It's just, uh, you know, but you have to be in the right mindset for it. Yeah. He's sort of a very strict sort of have you have you read poor charlie's almanac yes i have it's a fantastic yeah. book i read it a few times yeah it is phenomenal in fact i was just picking up another book today which is uh, uh, from darwin to munger have you heard of that book no i haven't i'll have to check that out have you read it you no know, i just picked it up today morning so it should be coming to me uh, in in three to four days but uh, that's why i wanted to ask you this question Yes. Yeah, I, I recommend him. I mean, for me, I mean, he's, he's taught me a lot about just, uh, you know, how people think, the psychology of people. And it's, it's just helped me in many areas of my life. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, the other question I want to ask is, uh, what do you want to put up on a hoarding in the middle of Sheikh Zayed Road? You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you had the whole hoarding. That's a great question. Yeah, right. So if, uh, yeah, if for a sign hoarding, I would actually like to... Uh, um, you know, I would like to have something for real fast, really. So, I mean, there, I think what's exciting about real fast is, and, and it would be something simple like, uh, you know, uh, you know, real results, real fast with a picture or something like this. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I like real fast because it's a play on the words. Um, you know, it's a fast itself. It's a true fast. So it's like the most pure uh, 
accessing these mechanisms in your body uh, fast, right. uh, as well as it gets a result very, very fast. So you can basically reverse a lot of extra fat, you know, uh, inflammation, uh, ways to get to better health in just a really, really short period of time. So, you know, this- I, 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 guess, I, guess, I guess we should have put up your picture with Saji two months back and your picture with Saji now and just read real fast that, on it. That's right, yeah, that's right. Real results, real fast, something like that. that I, I'd want something like that on the podium. Awesome, awesome. Any particular book you would want to recommend? Which one would be a- um, Well, I mean, Poor, you mentioned one is Poor, Poor Char, uh, Charlie's Almanac, Almanac. Which, is, which is a good book to recommend. Um, you know, there's there's another book called The China Study, which talks about uh, nutrition and, and, and the thirty uh, diet. the thirty year study. That's right, and that's one specifically that talks about really the uh, the high complex carbohydrate, uh, you know, the unprocessed foods and, and low uh, animal products diet that sort of been traditional in in the tropics and associated with uh, longevity and and, uh, you know, better response towards disease and whatnot. So that was one of the basis of, you know, some of the stuff I talked about earlier in this discussion. Awesome. So, so Sudhi, if people want to reach you, where can they find you? What's your social media handle? What's your email ID that they can send you a mail if they choose to? Yeah, sure. So if people want to reach out to me, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, um, I'd be happy to try to, you know, give people some, you know, advice or uh, if, they, if they would like to do, explore getting into the real fast uh, be, be glad to talk with them on it and, and answer any questions. So uh, one email address you can reach me on is uh, it's uh, real fast program. So R E A L F A S T P R O G A M at gmail.com. Uh, I also have a very placeholder uh, basic website there, uh, which is HTTP colon forward slash forward slash real real fast program.com. Sorry, HTTPS. But okay. if you just type real fast program, you should be able to find it in the browser. Okay. Okay. And any social media handle? Um, just, uh, I just have all my own uh, personal social media, which is my name, Sudi, and my surname, Narasimhan. If, if people want to reach out to me there, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Sudi, thank you so much. I so appreciate your, you, you sharing your wealth of knowledge. I so appreciate for the, for the intent you have to inspire people and transform their lives. Uh, and you're doing a phenomenal work. I must say you're doing phenomenal. And I so look forward to many, many success stories like Saji, Michael Chu, and so many more. No problem. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Manish. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me and, and thanks whoever's listening to this. I appreciate you for, uh, for listening this far. And uh, if you want to reach out to me and talk further, I'm, I'm glad to do it. This is something I'm passionate about, which is why I talk so long. Awesome. Awesome. Sudhi, thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, do get in touch with him. If losing fat, losing weight and detoxing your body is your intent. And if you're committed to it, Sudhi is the man to go. Have a great day. Have a phenomenal life ahead. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye, Sudhi. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.